Hello, ladies, and welcome to the table. This is the Adorno Podcast, and I'm your host, Julie Charles. As with every week, we want to bring you a thought from the Word of God. But I have to confess, right now, we're studying the books of First and Second Peter in Bible study. So if it seems for the next few podcasts we seem stuck in those books, it's for a good reason. And our topic for today is from one of those books. I want to talk to you about plateauing. I told you all a story in the Glory Be rest episode about a time when I experienced what I would call a revelation from God, or an awakening to the holiness of God, when I was walking on the treadmill. In case you didn't hear that episode, a short recap is that I was walking on the treadmill and I had a moment, if you will. It wasn't a clouds parting, bright light kind of moment, but in a way, it was. It was a moment in time when my eyes were opened. It was like my brain fog just simply cleared and I got a glimpse into the glory of God. I saw him more clearly, and I realized he saw me entirely. And I told you how I couldn't even tell you what emotion I was experiencing, but it was like being totally terrified and totally relieved, horrified and entirely secure, so ashamed and so free all at once. As you can imagine, I came off that experience on a high note. I was fired up and ready to go. What I discovered, as some time passed, is what I've discovered in the past. When I was 11, my parents bought me a Bob Ross painting set to teach me how to paint landscapes like Bob Ross. I had taken a toll painting class with my mom in our church, and if any of you were around in the 90s, you know the phenomenon that swept through the evangelical world of toll painting. All the women's ministries were signing up for toll painting. So I had taken that class with my mom, had really enjoyed it, and had shown some artistic potential, so my parents got me this step-by-step instructional set for Bob Ross paintings. Now, the 90s was a great time and all, but not a great time for the internet yet. When I got stuck on the instructions, running to the internet was not an option, because it sat in the office space, attached to a phone line, on the only desktop computer in the house, it made that horrible noise when it was dialing up, and even if it did manage to get on, which tied up the phone line, it was so slow, and videos really weren't a thing yet. So I had to stick to the written instructions I had. I remember vividly being so excited to paint this masterpiece to match the picture on the box, and I was doing fairly well, until it came to the mountains. Going back and watching YouTubes of Bob Ross now, I understand how to do those mountains, but at the time, I could not understand how they were telling me to make them. I attempted my best try at it. They were horrid, and the more I tried to fix it, the worse they got. The more I smeared the black and white together, the grayer and uglier they became, until I just quit. I set that canvas aside, but I couldn't throw it out because some of it was really well done but every time I picked it up to try and do something about those mountains, I got frustrated all over again and quit. This is just a simple example of what I think of a, lo- a lot of people go through. We get all fired up about something. We can't get enough of it. But as some time goes on, interest wanes, it gets difficult, we actually have to work at it, and we hit a plateau. I can just about bet that pretty much all Christians had this experience after their conversion. They were on fire for Jesus, 
they experience this high, along with a growth spurt. But then after some time and difficulty, they reach a sort of peak and stop. After my treadmill experience, I definitely knew my personality a bit more, had seen patterns in the past, and knew that I did not want to repeat that. I didn't want my fire to go out, but I knew it would, in a way. How can I prevent that? How can I push through that? I no longer believed that just possessing faith was pleasing to God, that with that faith came responsibilities. What I found was a little Latin phrase that came about sometime around the 1600s, and it is commonly attributed to Martin Luther. It is Coram Deo. Literally translated, it means before the face of God. Luther's idea behind this was, the essence of the Christian's life is to live all of your life in the presence of God, under the authority of God, to the glory of God. I was no longer content to conduct my life for the audience of the world. I was much more concerned with having my conduct being be glor- God-glorifying, much more concerned with how God told me to live and not being conformed to the ways of the world. I've been known to be a people-pleaser, and I was more concerned with the image I was portraying to the world and not as concerned with how I conducted myself when no one was looking. Now, I wanted to be a God-pleaser. What this phrase did was direct my thoughts to his face, to remind me that, indeed, as I am in communion with the Father through the Son, I am living with him ever before my face, and I need to seek him. It was a reminder to have a living with God mindset. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will do as I command. Another way to say that is, you please me by doing what I commanded you to do. Under his authority, I wanted to obey his commands and do things his way. And I wanted all of my life to bring honor and glory to him. This was also the idea behind Peter's words from 1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your ignorant former ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. If you start at the beginning of 1 Peter, in the first part of the letter, Peter has been calling us to be aware that we live our lives before the face of God by telling us who God is. He's showed us the need to develop a God consciousness because of who God is and what he's done. He's telling us that because we live under God's authority, we are called to obey him, to be holy as he is holy, to be pure, And he's showing us that when we live like this, we bring glory and honor to God. Because God provided the way for us to be saved, because Jesus was obedient to go through the death, burial, and resurrection to make the way and bring us into the relationship with the Father and Son, we have certain responsibilities and obligations now that we've been brought into this relationship. Peter is preparing us by calling us to gird up the loins of our minds and be sober-minded. This is a call for action, a call to prepare for battle, to be alert, or to use your brain. How do we do this? This, I believe, is a work of the Holy Spirit, but still requires action on our part. 
the Holy Spirit is going to come alongside and help us, teach us, convict us, encourage us. But we need to put forth the effort to know and to remain teachable. We need to inquire and search the scriptures as the prophets did. We need to have an answer for the hope that is within us. We need to know exactly what it is that God has done for us through Jesus. We need to know that the God that we are bowing to, and this isn't simply a knowing about, but a true knowing. For a time, I was able to embrace that idea, and it gave me a motivating excitement to continue forward on the path of the things of God. I was so thankful for what God had done and so on fire that it was easy to march along on this path. It wasn't hard to think and believe that I lived my life ever before the face of God. I was good with living under the authority of God, and I prayed my life would bring honor and glory to God. I was able to physically be in the world while my mind was more often than not outside of this world. I understood what it meant to pray continually because I was going through my day in continual conversation with God. But, just like that Bob Ross painting, when things got confusing, or I couldn't figure them out, when things got hard or frustrating, when distractions and pressures mounted, when the emotional high wore off and the motivation wasn't there, Coram Deo wasn't cutting it for me. It was encouraging and discouraging all at the same time. As I went about living life, it seemed that the idea had a hard time playing out in real time. As the distractions and pressures started pushing in, I often forgot that I lived before the face of God and in the constant presence of God. I had, and have, a hard time bowing under the authority of God at all times in all things. And most of my actions lacked the righteousness to bring honor and glory to God, because I was doing them in my own power and for my own glory. The saying of Coram Deo is one thing. The living it constantly is another thing. The reality is Coram Deo. We do live ever in the presence of God under the authority of God to the glory of God, even when we don't acknowledge it. But when the day-to-day pressure and distractions come, and the excitement wanes, and the old patterns become irregular again. What then? What happens when most of my time is spent living in the absence of God, in defiance to God, to my own honor and glory? I think Peter was perhaps addressing something similar to this with the people he was writing to. They had been brought into the saving grace of God. They probably had the zeal and excitement of the revelation of Jesus and their new life as we do. But then, as they faced persecution, hostility, and danger in their day-to-day lives, that zeal and excitement could easily, and understandably, be hampered or wane. It's easy enough for us to plateau in our spiritual walks without having the physical dangers pressing in on us that they faced on a regular basis. The way to press on, in spite of the plateaus, is how Peter begins verse 14. Like obedient children. I hope you're nothing like me, but sometimes when I hear the word obedient, I immediately oppose it and think, no fun, or legalism. Instead, as with most most things biblical, they often mean the opposite of what we imagine or how the world displays them. Why do I have such a hard time with it? 
probably because it means that I have to die to myself and my way of thinking. Because it means that I have to let go of my will, and for whatever reason, I don't like doing that. Obedience, biblical obedience, is freedom. It's one of those paradoxical ideas that, as the world defines it, obedience means oppression, submission, a breaking of the will, a slavery of sorts. As God defines it, it is best because it is how he has ordered the world to work and how he ordered us to work in the world. It's freedom and synergy because things are ordered and working how he designed them to. Our problems come when we think that we know best and we want to do what we want. One of the hardest things to do in the Christian walk is to remember to whom we belong and that he is Lord. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Paul reminds us that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of, of sin have become obedient from the heart, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. One commentary I read said, If he is our Lord and Master, we are to obey him rather than the impulses of the flesh or the patterns of the pagan world around us. God requires obedience because he loves us, and because he created us, he really does know what is best. It's amazing to me that every time I have been obedient to something, and I don't mean an I'm bowing on the outside but standing on the inside kind of obedience, when I've truly bowed my will for the Father's will, the blessing I've received is more of Him. Not to say that He's holding anything back from me, but that sin is holding me back from experiencing the fullness of Him. And this is a hard thing to describe and explain, but when I deny the flesh and serve my Master, I am blessed with a better understanding of Him and more freedom, a greater sense of purpose, and completeness in Him. What perhaps starts out as just disciplining the flesh, obeying because I'm supposed to, turns into obeying because it is what I was made to do, a wanting to obey, a true heart-bowing, a true yearning after the things of God. The goal of the Christian life is to live Coram Deo, ever before the face of God. How do we do that? As Peter has laid out for us, can be summed up in Jesus' words in Matthew, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. When we began this Christian life, we are changed, and probably zealous for the things of God and passionate about him. But sometimes life happens and we adjust to this new life, our eyes acclimate, our goals adjust to the world around us, and we set the bar lower. What started off with a growth spurt hits a plateau. We may have started out on our journey thinking that we'd read through the whole Bible cover to cover, and we may make it through Genesis and Exodus, but then we come to Leviticus. If we make it through Leviticus, Numbers is sure to finish us off. We give up because it becomes too hard or complicated or confusing. I think what pleases God are the kind of people who press on, the ones who are signed up for the long term, the long haulers, 
the ones who seek first his kingdom, no matter how hard the seeking is. So what do we do when we get to a hard spot, to a plateau, to a hard place that we can't figure out? What happens when we've read the instruction manual, but we're stuck? We find a teacher. We find one who has been to the plateaus and who has made it to the other side. But also, we press on. We don't quit. We grow up for our good and his glory. Like newborn infants, we long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it we may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Indeed, the Lord is good and he loves us. We glorify God when we acknowledge him in all things, when we cheerfully obey him in all ways, when we live by his standard, and when we seek his face. Press on, sisters, for the glory of God. If you have any questions or comments that you'd like to pass along, or if there's a topic that you'd like us to talk about, please email us at adornopodcast at gmail.com. Join us next time at the table.